is my microphone working? No. Is my microphone? Yes. All right. Now, there is cold water in the foyer. If anyone is feeling unwell, um, please do not stay in here. The, the air conditioning in the parents' room is working. And um, if you need to go out for a drink, please do so. It is called the parents' room for a reason, too. All right. Um, welcome this morning, especially to those visiting with us. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Dale. I'm one of the pastors here, and it'll be lovely to get to know you after, after the service. And I'm going to cut a little bit out of my sermon this morning in order to um, shorten it just a little bit. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we want to thank you for the, the wonderful opportunity that we have to come together. And even though it's hot, to be able to come together and, and to know that you are with us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to each one of us as we read your word and, and look at it with, with open eyes and open hearts. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to each one of us and, and to teach us through Haggai this morning. pray this in your name. Amen. Ah, Haggai. What a wonderful book. These, these small prophets in the Old Testament are extraordinarily hard to understand. Extraordinary, extraordinarily hard to understand. I was listening to John Piper through the week and he was speaking on, on the first half of Haggai and he said, if a preacher looks confused, it's probably because he is confused. So hopefully I don't look confused this morning, but, um, and hopefully you can, can carry on with me. We've, you might remember from last week, the, um, the, the first half of the book, um, Haggai basically came to the people of Israel while they were attempting to rebuild the, the temple after the exile to Babylonia, and, or Babylon, um, and and they, they basically had to readjust their priorities. They were focusing more on their own houses than they were on the temple of the Lord. And so they had to readjust their, their priorities. And now Haggai continues on in, in, um, in chapter 2, and he, he asks a couple of questions, a series of two questions, in order to see how the people were being, or show the people how they were being obedient and yet they weren't um, being obedient 100%. It was outward obedience, not, not inward obedience, heart obedience. And, and in fact, that they were, while they were building the temple, they were defiling the temple that they were rebuilding. So have a look at the two questions that Haggai asks in chapter 12 and 13. I'm glad I don't have to apologise for the sweat marks under my arms this morning. (laughs) Chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Haggai says, If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. And then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now, I got some props this morning. 
Um, and, and I've got a couple of helpers pre-organised, if they would come forward for me. All right. Now, Bailey and Jordan, um, I've got a couple of things that I want you to do for me. So what I've got here is some holy meat, otherwise known as bacon. <laughs> now, Haggai wouldn't have, wouldn't have made, if you want to put some gloves on, you can. Uh, Bailey, you need to, especially. Haggai wouldn't have said that bacon was holy meat. He would have said that it was unclean. But, but nowadays, when I eat bacon, I thank God for bacon. So for the purposes of illustration this morning, bacon is holy meat. And Jordan, do you like Brussels sprouts? No. Okay. Not too many kids do. I've got some Brussels sprouts with me this morning. I bought them yesterday from Coles, not the fresh food people. (laughs) What I want you to do, Jordan, is... If you want to put a pair of gloves on, you can, but if you're okay with touching bacon, then um, you don't have to. But what I want you to do is is rub these Brussels sprouts with the bacon and see if that makes them holy. Okay? Can you do that for me? I know it's a strange request. The other thing I've got is some mud. Some of you may have seen my sunflowers on, on Facebook during the week and that's the very same mud that grows my sunflowers or that God grows sunflowers in. What I want you to do, Bailey, is to get your hands in there. Get them dirty. Don't make a mess, but... <laughs> All right. Okay, how are you going, Jordan? Are those Brussels sprouts holy yet? No. Are they, do you reckon they'd be tasting any better? No. Okay. All right, you can stop that. What Haggai is basically saying is that the works of holiness do not transfer. Just in the same way that the flavour of the bacon doesn't transfer to the Brussels sprouts, works of holiness, i.e. working on the temple, doesn't transfer into the personal holiness that the people we're desiring. So, Bailey, how are you going? Having fun? It's, it's good mud, hey. Tell me, is the mud glovey? Does that make sense? Is the mud glovey? Have you made the mud glovey yet? No, you haven't. Because it's still mud. But raise your hands, just, just shake them off a little bit and and hold them over the tea towel. Are your gloves muddy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to help you take them off without too much of a mess. All right. Thank you. You can both sit down. Give them a round of applause. So so what Haggai is saying here, and the illustration that he's trying to make is that the works of holiness... If they're, if they're done from a perspective of an unrepentant heart or even a, a sense of uncleanness, then, 
they don't work. They, don't, they aren't, aren't works of holiness at all. And in fact, if, if we're coming to church and if we're, we're coming along and doing things, serving in the church from a sense of obligation and a, and a sense of, of it's my duty, then they're not works of holiness at all. We're serving from a perspective of, of almost nullifying our, our service. You might remember me saying a couple of weeks ago that if we are serving from a perspective of, of trying to win God's favour, of trying to appease God, then we're, we're nullifying our works of service. And so unless we recognise that, that we are in fact people that are saved by God or, or that, uh, that we are people that have been, have been saved by God, Unless we recognise our need for God, then, then our works of service are, are nothing. And what had happened for a long time with the, the Israelites is that they had done their works of service, their sacrifices, their tithes, their offering. They had done, done it from a sense of obligation and now... With the temple, with rebuilding the temple, they'd done that from a sense of obligation as well. They're like, oh, okay, we're God's people. It's, it's, God's, it's necessary for God to be able to come down to us if we rebuild the temple. I can tell you that I did this for a long time with my Christian walk. I came to church because that was the done thing to do. I, I went to Sunday school because that was the done thing to do. And yet those works of, of holiness didn't transfer into my personal holiness. I, I didn't recognise my need for God and for the fact that he had saved me, what he had done for me. And I hate to be the one to break it to you that if you come to church this morning thinking that God needs your worship or that God needs your attendance here this morning, it doesn't make you holy. Your attendance at church doesn't make you holy. Your, your Bible reading, your prayer, these things are good things, but if they're done from a sense of obligation of, of I have to do this, then they don't make you holy. You see, God wants, to rec- wants you to recognise your need for him first and foremost. He wants you to recognise that, that you need him more than he needs you. God doesn't need our tithes as if he was poor. God doesn't need our, our sacrifice of our time on a Sunday morning as if he, as if he needed people to come to church. What he wants is your heart. What he wants is is you to desire him. And Haggai asks his people, how have you been going? How did you fare? In verse 16. How did you fare when, when you were doing these things out of a sense of obligation? How did you fare when you were just coming along, giving your tithes and your offerings because that's, how, because what, that's what you had to do? 
God asks his people who have been disobedient, how are things working out for you? You've been disobedient in your actions and you've been and and I've been trying to gain your attention through natural disasters and 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 through through the exile. But you still won't turn to me. You still won't turn your hearts to me. Is God trying to gain your attention through Haggai this morning? How have you fared so far? If you've been coming along to church just because that's what you have to do or, or because your parents told you to, how have you fared so far? Have you been treating God as though he needs you more than you need him? Have you been doing holy works out of obligation, out of service and duty? And are you going to turn to him this morning? Haggai uses the, the illustration in, initially in, in um, chapter 2 of a dead body, someone who is in contact with a dead body. And the Bible tells us that we are, in fact, dead in our sins. Without God, we are dead in our sins. And, and someone who is dead, the last time I remember... They couldn't do anything. They couldn't speak, they couldn't walk, they couldn't get up out of bed. And so from the perspective of, of that, how can we turn to God? How can we recognise his, our need for him? Well, in the last little bit of, of Haggai chapter 2, we see how we can do that. Read with me if you will, from the second half of verse 19. But from this day on, I will bless you. And then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations and overthrow their chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That's a random piece of passage of, of, of scripture, isn't it? But bear with me just for a second. This is where God is promising to act. This is where God is going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world and, and to establish his kingdom through Zerubbabel and others. He has chosen Zerubbabel as a signet ring. I'm ho hoping I'm saying that right. If you say anything with confidence... Um, sounds good, doesn't it? God has chosen Zerubbabel to be a signet ring. A signet ring is something that a, a king or a governor or a ruler would wear, which would have a big seal on it, and that they would basically stamp the seal on the, on the declaration or the decree so that the readers would know that it had come from him. 
Well, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, appears in the lineage of David. In the lineage of, of Jesus, in fact, in Matthew chapter 1. Just a few pages over into the New Testament, verses 12 and 13. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of that guy, and that guy, and so forth and so forth, until we get to Joseph, and until we get to Mary and Jesus. You see, God was using Zerubbabel to be a signet ring, to show that his authority was going to be passed down through the generations and to, to make his people holy. Do you see that there now? Through your descendants shall my people be made holy. You see, God knows that we need him. God knows that we need him to act on our behalf. And I'm nearly there. God knows that there's no human way of bringing back a dead body to life. There's no way of a person who is dead in their sins being able to be brought to life again. And so Jesus, God sent Jesus to die on the cross. God sent Jesus in the line of David to be the perfect sacrifice for sins, to to stop this attempted transfer of holiness to stop this attempted transfer of of works of righteousness and to show that, that God acts. God does what he says. He sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for sins once and for all to make us holy. And if we have been made aware of our need for him, And if we have placed our faith and our trust in him for for the forgiveness of sins, in him only does that come. And we know that this is a gift of God, not of our own doing, because we are dead in our sins. Then we have been set apart as a holy people. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and made holy by our association with Christ. Have you heard the phrase, cool by association? Well, we are holy by association if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And it's, our, it's only our relationship with Christ that enables this. We have been made holy, we are being made holy, and we will be made holy at the day of Jesus' return. I know what you're thinking. You've just come from a perspective of personal holiness doesn't transfer. But the nature of Jesus' sacrifice, the sacrifices that they were talking about there, the holy meat, doesn't transfer into personal holiness. But the nature of Jesus' sacrifice is that it's so perfect and so complete that it does transfer that it is imputed and, and transferred to personal holiness. If we have been made holy in Christ, 
God has cleansed us from, from all things that are dishonourable, from all things that are unclean. But this is where we come into, or not we, but our personal, um, personal responsibility comes into play. If God has made us clean, if God has made us holy 100%, and yet we continue to sin and we continue to... Ooh. That must mean I can continue a bit longer. <laughs> if, if we continue to, um, to live a life where, where holiness isn't our desire, with, if God is not our desire, then it's all for nothing. Jesus said these words, Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. I think people, I think there is a real need within Christianity in general, but within this church at the moment, to place more energy and more time into being holy. I think there's a real need for us to to stop focusing on our own personal desires and to focus on God's desires. Focus on God. And to stop kidding ourselves. If we are coming along to church, reading our Bible and praying, that's enough. Stop that. Let's, Let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue God in the same way that he has pursued us. Paul writes to Timothy in in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy and he says that now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable use. Therefore if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable he will be a vessel for for honourable use. Set apart as holy. And then he says to Timothy, flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If God is speaking to you through Haggai this morning, through the illustrations that he used if God is speaking to you to, to renew your relationship with him, to thank him for being holy, for making you holy, and he's asking you to seek him from a pure heart this morning, if God is asking you that, what are you waiting for? If God is, is speaking to you and reminding you of your need for him, that you need him every hour, every day, then confess your need for him. If God is reminding you that he has made you holy and only him, and yet there's something that continually causes you to turn your gaze away from him or or causes, causes you to give in to temptation, remove it from your life. Turn to God. You see, God has has given of himself for your sake 
so that you can come to him. You can see his glory. So if there's, if there's anything in your life that God is speaking to you about this morning, do something about it before you leave this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even though the message of, of Haggai is somewhat hard to understand and, and somewhat cryptic even, Lord, I thank you for the, the way that you have placed these books in your word with your authority, with the fact that it, it speaks of how you are going to act. And yet it also reminds us of our own personal responsibility. And Lord, if there is anything in, in my life that, that causes me to take my eyes off you, I want to confess that this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have made each one of us holy if only we would continue to turn to you. If only we, we recognise our need for you on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to work in each one of our lives and, and to remind us of our need for you each and every day. Help us to remember that you and you alone are the source of our holiness and our righteousness. And, and Lord, that we should seek after you and pursue you like a fox pursues a rabbit. Lord, to, to get closer to you and, and to, to, to see your glory each and every day. Lord, help us to be holy. Help us to be a people that... that Reflect your holiness to this world around us. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.